Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me gigi palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg shape. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Let's not talk about this last night. And he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Wait, um, happiness is a egg-shaped circle. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped. And today we are talking to a former Scotland international who is back into clubland. What a story he's got to tell. He's one of the few people that we've had on here that I've never actually met until we signed up. But I got hooked up through the good man Jason Clark at Genius Brewing, who is the sponsor of this man at his club at Stuart's Melville in the city of Edinburgh. And there is lots to talk about, so let's not hang around. Former Scotland international and all-round good guy, the one and the only Mr. John Hardy. Hello, sir. How you doing, mate? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. I'm keen to hear this John Hardy story. So let's see where this goes. Firstly, let's start with where you are just now. You're coaching in Clubland at Stuart's Melville. How did that come around? Yeah, I was uh, lucky enough that uh, Finn Calder and Nick McCashin got in contact with me after I finished and um, offered me the opportunity to um, look after the forwards uh, for Stu Mel. And I jumped at the opportunity. It was it was pretty cool to have them contact me, and um, the rest is history. And I'm right in the midst of it, so I'm really loving it so far. Good bunch of boys, great club. So yeah, just loving being back in the club rugby scene, um, which I haven't been in for a long time. Were you always going to be a coach when you fell out uh, playing? Uh, no, to be fair, I don't think I was going towards that route, um, but then. All of a sudden, uh, you get a bit of coaching and you start enjoying it and you realise how much you have to learn and 
and adapt. So I've really enjoyed that sort of part of it. Uh, it does come with the added stresses, but that's all part of it, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's what keeps you ticking. It's what keeps you ticking. Yeah, club, club rugby is not for everyone, but the people that love it do really love it. Getting approached by two men like Finn Calder, obviously a Scottish rugby legend. You, you must have been aware of him for a long time. Yeah, I've heard about his, uh, would have been with the Lions and a, and a Scotland legend as well. Uh, and um, Finn and Jim do a really big job for the club, um, for Stu Malwin. And they're really passionate about it and they're keen to grow the club um, like we're trying to do at the moment. So to have those two guys on board for a, a club side like Stu Mouse, just it's massive. And it's when you start coming down from the professional game that you realise how important those sort of people are. Um, it gives you appreciation for it. And is that something that's common in New Zealand? All Blacks and people that have been at the top of the game, do they tend to filter back into club rugby? Uh, yeah, I think they, some some people do go down that route, but uh, I suppose they're all aligned to a club, but probably not the same sort of involvement in terms of what uh, Finn and Jim have got at uh, Stu Mount being life members. Uh, and I've stepped down from roles as well, um, but with a great president and uh, chairman as well that want to keep growing the club and get back to where we want to be. Um, I think we're... It's so important to have those really, really um, special people there. And how well do you know Nick McCashin? Because he's some boy and was a hell of a player in his day as well and came across here and, you know, he's been involved with the Stu Mel Club for a long time. Have you known him from back home? It's actually a funny one. So I, I, I'd heard of him because um, we had played a couple of games against each other. He paid, played for Bayer Plenty. Uh, and then I just got he got in contact. He's a mate with uh, actually Phil Burley. They played together at uh, Bayer Pliny. So knew him through there. And um, yeah, and so it's a, it was a, it's a small world in New Zealand as well in terms of the rugby scene. So you always know someone that knows someone. So uh, yeah, it was it was good to get Cash to um, contact me. And uh, yeah, so he's the uh, head of rugby at Stream now. So it's, it's good to have him involved. Yeah, he's a good guy, and he knows he knows the ways of the world. Does that lad? Uh, some boy is cash, and getting involved in coaching, coming from the professional game, one of one of my frustrations is club rugby trying to replicate what happens in the professional game, and it's it's quite a different beast. Has there been anything that you've seen where you thought, "Whoa, this is a different world," or has there been some big similarities that you think you can bridge the gap really quickly? Yeah, I, it's it's a hard one. It's I think I've only been a very short time, and I don't know everything. But it's getting that balance right between uh, having a professional mindset and then also having that that club side of rugby, having a beer, uh, enjoying yourself. I think there's a fine balance, and and if you go over either side of them too much, then uh, things will start appearing with some cracks because. You know, boys are they're working all day, and they and this this is part of their fun is coming down to training and and playing a game on Saturday. Uh, it's completely different to a professional rugby player. They're getting uh, paid to play, and and that's they live and breathe it. Uh, so you got to have a different context in mind when you when you go into there and what you're trying to bring to the club. And I think if you can have those little things or little habit changes, then um, 
And if it's just those little things that you, you bring in, I think uh, it'll go a long way to helping helping your club. But it's just a really fine balance, as you probably know. The the boys must love being able to tap you up, though, because you the, the position you played, you must have known the laws because it's a fine line with for you guys where you're going for turnovers and when you're on that back foot and halfway up a ruck and all those things, do you find the boys are, are asking you for more depth, more detail? Yeah, I think the more they ask, there is a lot of players that are really keen to learn and, and we really push boys to, to keep growing and keep getting better. And, um, if, if I can help out in any little way, um, I, I try my best. Um, and that's all you can that that's all you can ask. And we're very lucky with um, our coaching group we've got. We've got Dave Hampton, we've got Alex Haggard, who's the um, head coach, who's who's a young young bloke who's knows the game really well, and he's a really good coach. He's a really good communicator. So to have those guys on board helping me as well, because they've got a lot more experience than me, it's it, it's it's really good. And if we can be better as a coaching group, I think it's a massive part and getting better as a team as well for all the players yeah dave hampton is a great man and oh, absolutely king, fantastic guy the king of culture eh? What yeah great great energy we uh we went to orkney to play against orkney when we were with murrayfield wanderers and dave and i went uh, to church on the sunday morning and the the minister there's a guy called Fraser McNaughton who's from Edinburgh from Curry Rugby Club and it was it was a brilliant brilliant thing great experience one that Dave and I shared and, and I'll never forget that that's an interesting one talking about them having more experience because people will see that John Hardy's coaching and think whoa he's got experience but you've got experience of playing professionally these guys have got probably a bit more experience of you than in the club game and in coaching. So you've all got something to learn from each other. How do you find time to get that? Because, you know, busy people arrive, training's got to start, player needs this, balls need pumped up, where's the bibs, Who's who needs cones? How much time are you able to find to share and learn from each other? Yeah, no, it is really good. We, we do get... It's obviously a limited time, but there's obviously other forms of communication, WhatsApp groups, and and all that sort of stuff. So it it does help. It's uh, you can you can learn by um, by watching and and listening. Uh, I probably it's so much different in terms of communicating. And though Dave and Hags have got uh, teaching backgrounds, which which I admire in terms of the way they communicate uh, with with the players. And I think if we can learn little things off each other and, and, and try and get better, it's, uh, that, that's all you can ask for. And, and I've, I've learned massively over the past six or seven months in terms of, of coaching. And, and when you look back and you think of all the coaches you've had, uh, You've got a lot more respect for them, well, even though I did have a lot of respect from them. And you've got a lot of respect now. You've, you just don't know your. You, you used to just have to know your position and what's happening with other opposition, and now it's uh, you sort of got to know a bit about everything. Um, and I think the cool thing about coaching is you, you never do stop learning. There's so much changing in the game and adapting, and, and I think that's probably one thing I really enjoy. One of the things I'm intrigued by, guys like you who 
go from that professional playing environment into what is an amateur coaching environment, how much better a player would you be now with the knowledge that you've built up? I it's it's actually funny I think of this and I'd probably approach things probably a wee bit differently in terms of uh, like tr- like getting a better understanding of other positions. Uh, you uh, you work closely with. Um, some positions when you're playing but if you had a better understanding of probably the whole game and you looked into it that way I think you could you could pick up a few things from that but at the same time you you when you're playing you, you're, you're so driven and um yeah you, you sort of got the blinkers on a wee bit so uh yeah it would be different but yeah we can't go back now we can only just uh keep getting better yeah uh, it, it's an interesting one the there's two there's two kids they're not kids Connor Boyle at Edinburgh and Rory Darge at Glasgow and Rory's picked up his first cap in the Six Nations both outstanding young men playing in the back row I don't know if you're asked or or if you provide a mentor role to anyone but if you saw two kids like that what sort of things would you be saying to them just be mindful of this yeah I it's actually funny uh we're back in 2016, I think 17. I met up with Connor Boyle. He was coming through Stumel, uh College, and uh, yeah, I went and had coffee with him and kept in contact with him for a while uh, during his last couple of years at high school. Went down and watched a game, uh, watched him play, and he was just a great young guy then. And you could see oodles of potential. Uh, so yeah, and I've been watching a wee bit of uh, Glasgow. And Rory Darge is an impressive young player as well. Uh, I think he's in the mould of a, a Hamish Watson a wee bit in terms of the way he plays. Good, uh, good um, power post contact. Um, probably not the biggest guy, but packs a punch if you know what I mean. But I think one of the one of the thing I'll probably say to say to them or give advice. I don't know if they'd want it or if it's changed too too much nowadays. But uh, yeah, it's probably having a point of difference, and and that's what coaches and the the clubs look for is having a point of difference. Uh, you don't don't want to be just okay at a lot of things. You want to have that point of difference that that every player really wants, and which puts them up the ranks as well. And I think both those boys have have got that um, point of difference. So yeah, it's exciting for those two guys and. And if they keep progressing and keep working hard, I'm pretty sure they'll um, well, once just played for Scotland, got his debut, and I, I don't think Connor will be too far away either. Yeah, he's a, he's a quality player. What was John Hardy's point of difference? I think it was quite fun. Like, I, I, you got to adapt around your point of difference. I suppose when I was younger, it was probably caring more in terms of, of being a link player. And then I come to Scotland and I probably found my point of difference was my defense and being able to be um, to be aggressive in contact with with my tackling and and one thing I always tried to do was um, improve um, that and bring that sort of edge uh, but you're still trying to work on all the other things but it's, it's really important that people don't go away from their strengths as well just keep nailing them so yeah, I suppose you yeah you got to adapt to how the the game's going as well. Sometimes it was about a year ago when you could show a wee lift of the ball 
and you get a turnover. Now it's changed back to you've got to be on about five or six seconds to be um, to get that penalty. So you've got to adapt to the um, the game, and your strengths might might change all the time. So it's a, it's about evolving as well. Um, your point of difference, you might get a bit older, and you might be a bit more cunning. So something else might be your point of difference. So yeah, you, you, you know, cheat. The, That's what you yeah. mean. You're cheat. <laughs> yeah, you got. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, you'll soon learn. You'll soon learn, and and if you keep listening to the right people, then uh, then you, you're sure to go in the right way. And in in club rugby, you know that that understanding that you're developing. I mean, how much p- attention did you pay in a scrummaging session on a? Tuesday afternoon when you were a professional rugby player to oh no now I've got to now I've got to tell the front row how to behave. Yeah. I uh I actually when I sit and I uh, have to make the boys do a scrum session and, or a line out session, I wasn't probably the most dominant uh line out forward either. I don't I think I had about two uh jumps in my whole professional career. So it's telling boys different stuff but luckily we're lucky enough to have Jamie Holson come down and take a line outs on Tuesday so that really helps and I'm more towards the defense sort of part of it but yeah it, it is it is you do if it, if it was one thing I'd say to the players now would be make sure you pay attention to all the game if you ever want to go into coaching because you'll be soon you're soon trying to play catch up uh, it it always makes me chuckle when you see forwards do the laid out session and the open side just stood at the back, so sort of <laughs> cleaning his boots and trying to figure out, pretend that he's the scrum half and doing all those things. Uh, hello, my name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped, and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Egg Shaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoods, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out. Get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. You can get it all coloured up for your favourite team or for your country. Get involved because you know, I know, everybody knows Happiness is Egg Shaped. Um, so you obviously began your rugby career in New Zealand as, and we have this vision. We sit here and we look at New Zealand probably through green eyes of envy, and we think that everything's really straightforward in New Zealand and players are ten a penny. What was it like growing up in a culture where rugby's the main show in town? Yeah, it was I never got introduced to a football until I went to Scotland in 2015. Uh, you'd be frowned upon if you, you touched a football. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was sort of bred into you in terms of, and that's what you watched when you were young. Uh, I still remember watching the 1995 World Cup and, and all that, and I'd be up in the middle of the night watching games, and I just, yeah, it was, yeah, it was bred into you, but you were so excited about the the game of rugby and and that's what it's all about um so yeah i, I suppose you did you have another option I, I suppose you did but um if there was one game you everyone lived and breathed it was rugby who was your hero growing up 
who was my hero? It's it wasn't actually a Ford, it was Christian Cullen. Oh yeah. I I remember my dad telling me he could uh, bench press 100 kgs. So I uh, I had that in my head my whole uh, sort of uh, young life that um, Christian Cullen was the strongest player ever. So that's that's how I got that. But I I just used to really enjoy watching him play. But there was heaps of guys he used to follow and and they were pretty special as well. So he was one that really sticks out in, in my mind. Um, he sort of took rugby to a different level when when he started playing. And he was outrageous and was probably a lot of people's hero. That time growing up as a young Kiwi must have been an interesting one because the game kind of hit showbiz as well. Yeah, it, it did. It was, was sort of the professional era kicked in. Not sure when it was. It 90, 90, yeah, 1995. 95, kick, 96. Yeah, kicking yes. the backside out the World Cup that you spoke about. So did yeah. that then become, I can I can do that as a job, or were you just playing rugby because you loved it? I just played rugby because I loved it. Uh, it, was, it wasn't probably until I got to the first 15 in, in, in school that I realised this is not too bad. Like, there's a lot of people going professional that – had been to the same school as me and yeah i sort of had this mindset that there's no way i'm not going to be a professional rugby player when i when i started in the first 15 and i suppose that probably helped me to be that driven to to get to get there as well so was that important that you could see other people who'd gone before you so one of the phrases that's in around the women's game at the moment is we have to get young girls to see it so they can believe it. Did you take inspiration from seeing somebody who'd sat in the changing room you'd been in and been coached by the people you'd been coached that that made it possible? Yeah, I, I seen guys go through an academy down home uh, and they made the first caps for the Southern Stags. And I, it's so important to have those sort of guys that, that you know it's possible, uh, you know, anything's possible. And I think that was one of the main factors why, why I was so driven personally. But I know it happened. It's the same for a, a lot of other people as well. So it's, yeah, it is really important to have those sort of role models or those people to follow in the footsteps of. And yeah, it's it's really underrated. I was in New Zealand in '98, and although Super Rugby was the thing everyone was talking about, and you know we would watch it on a Saturday morning in this country, and then you'd be trying to replicate a Carlos Spencer Auckland Blues backline move, or you'd be trying to dream up these kind of things. But the level that I loved was that MPC level, where there was club guys playing with all blacks and guys who were scratching to get a franchise contract and guys that were talking about heading off overseas. The Southland Stags are one of those teams that people, maybe not their second team, but people love to see how Southland get on. How much motivation was there for that to be a stepping stone? Uh, uh, the Stags was massive for me in terms of my development and my love for the professional game. Uh, we had a really good run in 2009. Uh, we held the Ranfrilly Shield for a good year and a half, and then in 2011 as well. But it was it was we had a got great setup, a really good culture, and it just 
it made you absolutely love the game. And there was some real old school values about it as well. That sort of got lost in the professional game a wee bit there. Um, but I've got, I used to love the ITM Cup. I thought it was it was awesome. And that was a stepping stone for Super Rugby. So you used to play your Super Rugby and then you used to be able to come back for the other half of the year to play ITM Cup. And sometimes it was a breath of fresh air to get back to your home province and and play with some guys that have been maybe playing at other Super Rugby teams. So it was just, it was really cool. It was it was really cool, and I got really fond memories of that. And, yeah, let's just hope, like, those, that's ITM Cup or Mitre 10, it's cool now. They just keep, it keeps growing and getting better because um, I think there was a bit of a lull there for a bit, so I hope it starts picking up again soon. Yeah, I love that level. There's so much in what you've just said there that I, I'm going to pick up on. That's why I'm scribbling away here. Um, it's part of the Southland Stags that that feels like home. There's a strong identity to the Mitre 10 Cup or ITA. You know, to me, it was always the MPC. Yeah. Is it because that's the real strong identity in the franchises? An another thing? Yeah, I yeah, there was a lot of homegrown players we had at Southland, but one thing that was really cool was we used to get a lot of players from different parts of regions as well. But the way they used to come in and embrace it and enjoy it, um, seeing them enjoy it, make that their home as well was really cool. Uh, and I think it sort of had this, we, we come from all over the place, and I think it was a lot like the Highlanders as well and really successful. There was a lot of different players from different regions and the way everyone bought into it and the homegrown players really uh, welcomed those guys and bought in and they bought into the culture. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was really cool. And, and that's, that's why it's so important just to have a, have a great culture within your squad and uh, it makes everything so much more enjoyable. No matter how far you go up the levels, it's, it's, it's always really important. Yeah. Uh, I was, my team were Waikato. I was in Hamilton and uh Marty Holler and Dion Muir, Foster was at 10, Glenn Jackson was trying to push him out, uh, Scott McLeod in the centre, Roger Randall in the wing. I got I got really excited by that and the Mulu Bells and it was just an amazing thing. The You mentioned culture a lot there. This is a real rugby buzz thing about the culture we've got and the environment. These are phrases that are used a lot. What, what did that mean at Southland Stags? Um. It was, everyone says, like, how do you build culture? I don't think it's something you talk about and sit down and talk about. I think something that's bought in trust and and it's just something that happens really naturally. Uh, and it, it felt like, like everyone talks about, it might sound a bit cheesy, but everyone talks about playing for each other. It honestly felt like your life depended on it when, when, you, were, when you were playing. Uh, you like didn't want to let down your mates and and it was just it was just really strong and it just grew naturally and it, we had a really good captain and and, and Jamie McIntosh who led in terms of standards. He was a and, man mountain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was really good. He sort of it was sort of then he started bringing in the standards and uh, the coaches were really good standards and like non negotiables and. Everyone stuck to them, and I think that goes a long way to building culture and accountability. Um, yeah, it's just it's just something that it was built up over time as well. Don't get me wrong; there was some there was some tough patches and there was some hard patches, but 
yeah, we just we, we got through it and we just keep getting better all the time. It was uh, yeah, it's, I look back on it, such fond memories and and uh, and yeah, like I can take a lot of those things that I sort of learned or, or think about now and hopefully um, help other teams or help other people um, get that sort of buzz that I got. And and Southland's a tough place. You know, we, we complain about the weather up here. Gee, Southland could get quite as bad. Was there an element of we have some pretty tough cookies and, and you know, it's not palatial mansions and, you know, we've not got the biggest facility in the bit. Was there an element of it's us against the world? Yeah, I think, like, we didn't have as much of a feeder club in terms of um, players, population, um, facilities, um, all that sort of stuff. So it was was sort of against little brother against big brother sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of that. We had some great rivalries and and we we sort of wanted to be known as well. And uh, we didn't want we wanted players uh, other teams to respect us. And I think we got that over the over the years as well, um, taking a few big scalps a, a, along the way. So. Yeah, it, it, it was a lot of that sort of stuff as well. There was those sort of bits, um, but you can't let that get too far in the way. Um, you've got to remember about yourselves from the start. You've got to look at yourselves first. The the the, the Ranfurly Shields are a big love of mine. Waikato held it when I was there, and I learned a lot about it and the, the history of it and how some of the smaller provinces get their shot, and there's been shocks, and you know they've held on to it for sometimes not very long, but what's it like? I mean, every kid will dream of being in the World Cup and winning the World Cup or, you know, playing for their country. How much did the Ranfurly Shield make to, to a kid like you playing for Southland? Well, it was, uh, we won the Shield in 2009 in Canterbury, and I still remember coming home on the, I think it was the Saturday or the Sunday, and we went to Invercargill Airport I didn't expect it. So I would have been 22, 23, I'm not too sure. Um, but I remember going into this airport and it was two stories and I've never seen it like it before. It was absolutely packed. We had to like find our way in through a path and they were just going mad. And it's, uh, it, was, it was crazy. And I didn't realize like how much support we had behind us. And to have that was, I was just blown away, absolutely blown away. It was, uh, it was awesome. And then 2011, we did the same thing, and it was they were all back again. And it sort of, sort of really kickstarted some new fans as well that, that come out of the woodwork and and started supporting. So it was really big, and and we still talk about it. Our mates still talk about those days, and and it was something no one can really take away from you. So it's it's awesome memories. And it, it was the result of all those things you've spoken about, wanting to play for the shirt, standards being driven, the culture that you had. That was reward for those things, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, you don't think about that uh, at the time, but it was those little things that made the bigger picture. So, yeah, it was when you look back at it and you obviously just highlighted there, you think about it, it's, it's those little things, it's those those little one percenters that you're doing all the time that, that, that make the big difference in the end. And yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that those little things do make a big difference. There's, there's Kiwis all over the planet. 
um, you know, in, in almost every national team, there's somebody whose rugby began in New Zealand. Is there anybody you look back on through club rugby, school rugby, Southland, and you think, I wonder why they are not an all black or why they, someone that showed lots of promise and you felt was destined for greatness. And then for some reason, it didn't quite happen for them. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of guys that were excelled and, and made a lot of age group rep teams uh, under sixteens, under eighteens, and then they I think the really talented guys that um, they just go out in the field and make it happen all the time. I think when you get to about eighteen to twenty, you start the only talent takes you so far, and you can see a lot of boys drop off in terms of. They're not getting fit. They're not staying at the highest level of fitness they can. And they're not challenging themselves to get better. And they think it's just going to happen for them. And I think that there's a lot of guys in that bracket who are really talented at school. And then they get through to about 19, 20 into the academies. And that talent starts wearing off. And and it, and it takes more than talent from there. And then the other guys you see at the pub 10 years later that tell you that like, if it wasn't for an injury or if I didn't start drinking and stuff like that, that's that's what happens. But no, I've definitely seen a lot of a lot of people, not a lot, a few, a handful of people that probably thought their talent was going to take them right to the top, but didn't. You do have to start working hard when that runs out. So now being further down the line and with the experiences you've had how does that shape some of the feedback or hints and tips that you would give to a young kid coming through yeah i'll just keep drumming that yeah you know you just got to keep working hard to to be better and grow and have the ability to learn as well um you don't know everything and you think you do at times and it's it's, it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes if you get told oh you're not doing this properly you take it as a dig at your character, but it's not. It's just you're trying to get better. And I, I probably took a while. I always took advice on board, but I always sometimes thought I knew best. But you soon realise and and learn yourself. It's 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 uh, they're only just trying to help you as well. So yeah, that that would be the thing is just keep growing um, and take accountability of, of of your training and everything you do and and just strive to be better every time you get on that rugby pitch it doesn't just mean about the game it's being better at training and and doing the the small detail and everything ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think you can do your eating when you get home. Um, 
your recovery that's just that's just so important those and as i talk about probably too much the little one percenters two percenters that will that will make the difference in the long run uh, you got you got some glory quite early in career 22 years old you win a run for the shield were there some of the old boys telling you it's not always like this son don't get used to this uh, I don't think they probably tell me then because I, I just thought it was all good. But uh, no, they did. Uh, you you knew how much it meant to some of the players. We had a guy called Jason Rutledge who uh, he was he was getting on there. I think he played till he was about forty. Uh, yeah, he was he did he not play about yeah. two years ago? <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah. I think he he probably beat me to. I probably beat him to retirement. Um, but yeah, to see what it meant to. Um, guys like that that had been through the really tough times at down at Southland and then through to his old man who played with my old man um, at, at Southland back in 1940. I think it would have been about 1940, 19, oh, no, would it be that? That's when Dad was born far out. He won't like me saying that. I think it was back in the, the 70s. Um, that was in the 70s, actually. Uh, no, back in the 70s, they played together. So it was quite cool that um the, my dad and his dad were really good mates and then we were playing for the same team as they were playing for but um so it was it was it's a really it's really cool sort of close-knit family affair so no it was you sort of knew what it meant and you sort of knew it didn't happen all the time because we didn't run it for 50 years so uh you sort of knew it didn't happen that often and so telling stories like that hey i'm playing with him and our dads played together that all adds to the sense of belonging and how how deep you dig for your team yeah 100 percent um i think there's only so much that that goes towards but it, it is a big driving factor as well um and no nah, it's it's massive so you're you're playing for southland this super rugby thing is is there and we were talking before we hit record you you're probably one of the most viewed rugby players on the planet because of that little section of play when you were with the Highlanders. I think it lasts about three minutes and it is just end to end passes being made, people running great support lines, last ditch tackles, turnovers. What was it like going from that ITM level? Was it a significant jump to playing super rugby? Yeah, it was. It's it's different in terms of you're playing uh, a lot of Australian teams who will try and play at more tempo, and then South African sides, which will be a lot more physical, more more set piece set piece based. Um, so it was. It definitely was a level up in terms of speed and and a lot of games physically, uh, and you probably you probably got punished more for your mistakes in Super Rugby. And going back to that clip, the four-minute four clip, I still have a, have a bit of a joke with Phil Burley about it because um, he was the one that passed me the ball and I spilt it and they scored down the other end. So I got the end of the clip. To be fair, I was happy that the play was over. But I told him it was a shocker of a pass. Anyone could, only could get my hand to it. And he goes, <laughs> and he, he thinks otherwise. So I think it'll be an ongoing argument until we're about 80 80 or 90 we were still telling our yarns in the pub about how we uh how you threw me that bad pass yeah it's an amazing amazing clip and it's one of those things that i think not necessarily that clip but super rugby then shaped rugby all over the world because it became this entertainment thing and 
you did go end to end and you had superstars like Christian Cullen doing, I mean, changing direction at that pace is just going to dislocate most people's knees. Carlos Spencer throwing things from behind his own line. And people started to go, whoa, this is more than just kick it up in the air and, and stick it up your jumper. Were you aware that you were part of that? No, I think it was, you sort of knew you were a part of it, but you were just going along for the ride. I, I That's what I felt probably, I was, it sounds bad, but I was going along for the ride and I was just enjoying every moment um, and just picking up as much as I could and just enjoy the journey. And I suppose I'm pretty happy I did that, Just just didn't, focus too much on about was what was actually happening with the game and how how big it was getting it was just being part of that that awesome journey one of my favorite clips from super rugby is when anton oliver complains to the referee that you're not allowed to tackle dan carter um when a penalty i think it's maybe given against man nonu or someone i can't remember who it was is. it andrew hall Oh, sorry, Andrew Hoare. Andrew sorry, Hoare. Andrew yeah, yeah. Hoare. and we're not allowed to hit Cara. And I just, I love that. Was there? There's obviously tall puppies anywhere you go. Dan Carter probably being the tallest in New Zealand rugby. Did that provide motivation that we're going to knock him over, or did people admire what he was doing? I think everyone, like, if you're a high class All Black in New Zealand, yeah, yeah, pretty much royalty. I think. Um, so no, they were um, pretty highly sought after, and and they're, they're still really popular in New Zealand now. Um, so no, they it, it is there is a lot of harsh judgment as well in in New Zealand rugby, um, just like anywhere. Um, but if everyone can start trying to be a bit nice to each other, I think it'd be it'd be quite good. <laughs> talk 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 radio in New Zealand is pretty brutal and some of the media did you did you pay attention to it did you listen to hear if they thought you were good or bad or did it bother you at all or were you like you said you were along for the ride did you were you aware of what was going on yeah i think you, you were aware of the media um you, i th- when i was probably playing in new zealand social media was probably starting to kick on the last three or four years of my career um, at the start, it was just your newspapers and the odd bit of internet. We didn't have smartphones then, I don't think. I feel, I feel really old now. Uh, but, yeah, I've, since I've been in the UK and probably to the Eden of Rugby, the social media sort of sides, it's, it's massive in terms of growing the game. There are some real positives, but obviously there's some real negatives as well. Um, you always say to um, young people, don't read the press and don't talk about that they're only doing their job as well but it's uh, it's really hard not to when it's all over sort of your social media and and everyone's on their phone nowadays so it's um yeah it's, it's a hard one it's it's about everyone has their opinion don't they and you just got to yeah it's harder it's easier said than done just telling them not to worry about it it's something that i think young players do get taught about now or do get learned how to deal with that sort of stuff so I think it's in the right place in terms of um, everyone is aware of it. When you were playing in New Zealand, there's the competition in every position is is just off the hook. Um, you know, there's you can get to third or fourth choice, all black, and it's still somebody that's pretty impressive. And we get in most other Test nations. Who did you really love coming up against? It was I had a uh, when I was 
towards the end of my New Zealand career, I played a lot against uh, Sam Kane, played against him, uh, Artie Sevier. Um, Matt Todd was a guy that I had a massive battle with. He was really not really good guy. Uh, we went through school grade together. Uh, he was a fantastic player. Uh, and I, we had some great rivalries between us two, especially for South versus Canterbury and then Crusaders versus Highlanders. So, yeah, it's those sort of rivalries that get the best out of you. And if you didn't have those people there, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. And they've obviously gone on to do some really good things. So, um, no, that's, it was uh, I was lucky enough to play against those, those sort of blokes and, and share the field with them. And who did you enjoy going for a beer with after? Oh, there's too many, probably. <laughs> there's too many. I had we had we had a we had a great few guys down in um in Southland and 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 uh, the Highlanders. But uh, no, there's just it's <laughs> the cool thing about rugby. There's so many different characters, and there's so many people you can go a beer and you have a completely different conversation with someone. Then you go over to see another bloke and you have a completely different conversation conversation uh you all play rugby there's there's so many different characters and i think that's the awesome thing about it and that's still happens now even when i'm at stu mel there's different players that have different jobs and different interests so it's it's, it's cool it's cool for the last six years fill your boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level Please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future. Join in clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible. Fill your boots, bring in rugby together. So you're you're doing your thing, South Island in New Zealand, and then how does it work that you end up over here playing rugby, becoming a Scotland international? What what's the what's the link there? How did that happen? Does an agent call you up? Do you go looking? Uh, so I had been in contact with Scotland um, from from I was really I think about twenty four, twenty five. So. A lot, a lot, a long time before, or a couple, two or three years before I actually come over, um, and I was actually looking to come to Edinburgh, but I couldn't get um, out of a clause in the contract in New Zealand, so I sort of seen it out, and I didn't think it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, there was a sort of a gap after I finished Super Rugby um, in 2015, and it pretty much happened so quick. It was Within a week, the next two, within a week of finishing Super Rugby, I had a call and I was in contact with Scotland and I was on the plane in two days and I, I packed me, I packed my bags and I was gone. I was gone. It was, it was crazy. Sort of been in like, I had been thinking of the move, but I didn't think it was going to happen. Like I thought it was finished and I was too late in terms of getting over to Scotland, just how things run. I always wanted to go over. I always did want to go over. That was my plan. That's what I wanted to do, um, but it just—I thought it wasn't going to happen. I was going to be too late with Super Rugby and contracts and stuff like that. But yeah, it was so quick, and within two days, it's—it's it's crazy when you think about. It. I was over in 
in uh, in Edinburgh, picked up, and then uh, into this into the training squad. And uh, I, it was awesome for my rugby. It was really awesome for my rugby. Um, it's it's opened my eyes to such a bigger world, and uh, I loved it. How did the chat go with your old man? What, what, did, my, what did what did he say about you coming across? Yeah, they were they were wrecked. They were they were wrecked for me. Obviously, their son leaving, but uh, they were lucky enough to when I did make the squad, they come over and to the World Cup and and watched. So they they absolutely um, loved that and had a great time. So it was it was it was scary. It was scary um, turning up to a um, a team, such a proud team, and yeah. There's obviously some people that aren't happy that you've turned up and and um, out of nowhere parachuted in, uh, but I had to. I knew I just had to knuckle down and really prove myself that I wanted to be here and I wanted to be part of the team. And uh, yeah, there was a few tough weeks in terms of uh, you felt the pressure a wee bit in terms of tr- trying to meet everyone. It wasn't just the training side; it was it was pretty much turning up and. Um, proving that you're actually not a dick, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you know, who's this guy thinking he's coming over, thinking he can make this team? And that's the last thing I wanted to think. And it was running through my head like, "Because they think I'm a dickhead." But um, no, nah, it all worked out well. And you just got to be yourself, don't you? And and that will soon come out. So no, nah, I loved it. I still remember I was doing uh, jet lag protocols. So when you come off the plane you were not meant to train or do anything for like the first five days because there's something like this. And I was just at training watching and you, obviously you feel so useless. You're at training watching and the boys are out there training. And then Vern Cotter comes over to me and goes, mate, what are you doing? Why aren't you training? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, don't I was like, I don't know. What do I, I go, I'm not meant to. And he's like, why are you not training? And then I, I remember jumping out on my, uh, trainers and started doing skills in the middle of training and I was running around in gym shoes uh but that was and I, I think he probably liked it that I just jumped in and do it but I think he was probably having me on when I think of it now so some boy Vern what an absolute star <laughs> oh, love such it. a great guy love Vern Cotter how long did it take you to learn Flower of Scotland it took I I remember sitting back in my hotel room learning it every night uh before you're doing an anthem check but no it it did take a while it was more it probably helped me i remember reading the words but i got more pay out of actually uh listening to it and watching it and when i started watching it on youtube i was like oh this is awesome took tim visser a long time the boys gave him a really tough time did were they kind to you were they nice to Uh, you Oh, they pick up every little thing, don't they? So <laughs> I had a couple of stumbles, but I got there. <laughs> I love it. So you come across and you've got to build relationships. Who did you see and felt uh, not necessarily an instant connection, but who did you think I could spend some time with this guy? Uh, it was Jim Hamilton was actually the guy I first room with. Um, and it was because I the Edinburgh and Glasgow boys were living at their own accommodation in terms of their own houses. It was the exile boys that uh, 
I stayed at the hotels with. So it was uh, Greg, um, Johnny, uh, Richie Gray, uh, Jim Hamilton, and they were really good in terms of welcoming me in and and getting the ropes of what to do, when to go into training. Um, I think John Barclay was there as well. So it was it was good. And then I just I just tried to get to know everyone. Give um, and they were they were they were really good. Like I can't like say they made me feel unwelcome or they what I felt like they were going to be like, but they were, everyone was really welcoming and I've still got some really great mates that I still talk to and keep close to now. And coming to Edinburgh, you're, you're playing different rugby. I mean, let's not make any bones about it. Rugby in the Northern Hemisphere is different. It's refereed differently. Uh, the length of the season is different. What, what were the biggest challenges that you met when you arrived? The biggest challenge, it was, uh, I was I was one story that uh this is how much I didn't know. I I was like to my mate, we walked out to training one day and I was like, why are these balls different? Why are we playing because there's a difference between the two legs is that um the challenge cup balls were different, they were Gilbert and then the it was Rhino balls we were playing in the I think it was a Pro twelve, Pro fourteen then. And I went out to train. I was like, why are we training with those balls? He's like, we're doing the, we got the Challenge Cup this week. I go, what's the difference between the Challenge Cup and the Pro 14? I know it sounds bad, but <laughs> that was that was what it was like when I first, I was first at Edinburgh. So, but I, I think I had to adapt to my game a lot um, and had to find new ways of playing the game. And, and I really enjoyed that in terms of uh, um, changing my game a lot. Um, and... Yeah, it was just, it was, I've just got like, it was really good for my rugby. I felt like probably in New Zealand, I was getting, I was getting a bit stale. I was just, I was just doing what I had to. And it gives you a new lease of life. Um, and yeah, I think it did. And it's, um, it was probably one of the best moves I made in my career. Who, who did you have to ask? What, what did he just say? What was was it, Greg? When he got angry, or who who were you try? Who did you really have to tune into? Uh, Forty Ross Ford. <laughs> I still remember. I still remember him. And then uh, Rory Sutherland was tough as well. He was yeah. uh, he was in my Edinburgh team as well when we in our first come. Great boys though. Great boys. Yeah, proper four day obviously an Edinburgh and, and Scotland legend and Suz just yeah. I mean becoming a lion. What what was your message to him when you heard he'd been selected for the Lions? I was I was just rep for him. Um because he's he had a really tough time with injury. Uh, and he was in the he made his debut in two thousand sixteen, I still remember against Japan. Uh but you always knew he had Oodles a potential um just explosive athlete as well. So and to see the way he's come on is just it's, it's great to see. Uh, he's just going from strength to strength now as well. So, and probably that Lions um, that Lions call up has just made him a better player as well. So, yeah, he's still got a lot more years left in him, and there'll be some good things to come. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. What was it like playing at Murrayfield? Uh, I did. It was awesome. It was awesome. What else? I've said awesome about 40 times this, this whole uh, 
this whole um, podcast, but it's there's no other words to describe it. I'd heard a lot about it. I played in the world. I was playing the World Cup, and I heard a lot about it. And I was lucky enough to play England at home, first game Six Nations, and it was next level. Piper on the top of the roof. It was, it was electric, absolutely electric. And mates back home, what what were their messages when you're pulling on a Scotland shirt? Yeah, they they were loving it. They were they were getting up and watching it in the middle of the night, and all my close mates uh, sending me photos of myself on Lemon and the national anthem and all sorts. So it was good buzz, and I've got I I think I converted a lot of supporters over home uh, into Scottish fans anyway. <laughs> and coming up here, different opponents. Um, probably they didn't know you. You didn't know them. What did that do for your game? It, it 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 made me open my eyes a lot to um, rugby. I think New Zealand can be quite narrow-sided in terms of not recognising um, the rest of the world in rugby. Um, and when I went over to the UK, it, it really opened my eyes and, and how many clubs, players... Um, it was it was it was really cool learning about the different competitions and and the rivalry and like your big clubs that have so much history behind them. It was there was so much to learn that I didn't know at the time. So it was it was a real eye opener and it was something that I really enjoyed uh, learning about and yeah, it was it was good. And there's a heap of coaches through your career. And you arrive in Scotland, and you've got a Kiwi as as your coach. Was there some security there with Vern? Security, um, yeah, I don't. He didn't. I tell you what, he didn't. He didn't um, give me much, to be fair, at the start. So, uh, yeah, he. I remember turning up, and I had a meeting with him when I first turned up, and he goes, "These are proud boys. Go and prove yourself." That's all I got. So I jumped on the paddock. So. He was he was hard. He was fair. Um, good coach, good man manager. So, yeah, it was sort of new. He was a New Zealand a New Zealander, but there wasn't any um, favour given anyway. It was all pretty even. I'll tell you that much. So, from from all these experiences, um, school rugby, ITM Cup, Super Rugby, age group rugby, going overseas. You've had a lot of coaches at different times in your in your life. Who do you look back on and and think I'm so glad I got to spend some time with them? Uh, yeah, it was I've had I've been lucky enough to be coached by some really good coaches, and I was thinking about it the other day if were you trying to look into your own coaching as well in terms of what what did all those coaches what little things did you pick up from them that were really good traits that you really enjoyed and i was actually thinking about all those coaches and and i had some i was lucky enough to have an academy coach who was who was made me so disciplined and uh, made me make sure my training he started talking to me about my eating and all that sort of stuff academy coach peter scout and he sort of started me off and we still keep in contact now. And then I was lucky enough to be with Dave Henderson, Simon Cohane at the Stags, and then under Jamie Joseph, Tony Brown at the Highlanders, and then Tony Brown's next level, the new age sort of coach, just um, he's always 
adapting. He's got some great ideas. You're coming over to um, Edinburgh uh, with um, Alan Solomons, a real sort of old school, but really good people person. Cock, Richard Cockrell, hard-nosed, um, but learned a lot from him as well. And then Varun, obviously. Uh, there's just so many different coaches that I've had that you can take so much from and you have so many fond memories about. Obviously, there's some tough, tough, tough times in terms of some tough trainings and that, but you wouldn't be the same player you are if you didn't have them and you didn't you didn't um, hear those tough words that they told you to work on or, yeah, you know, that you wouldn't have been the same player if it wasn't for them. And Tony Brown is one of the coolest looking coaches where he's, he's bonnet on and he's check shirt. Yeah. What, are you are you a tracksuit coach? Are you a shirt and tie coach? Are you a bonnet wearing coach? Oh, I think I'm, I'm just a... I'm just a nervous wreck, so uh, <laughs> I, I might not show it, but I am. <laughs> Are you a coach who still feels like a player? Do you? One of the things I do in the touchline when there's a line out, I go up on my tiptoes as if that's helping the jumper get a bit higher. Uh, I still kind of feel some of the movements, and I mean, I was never anywhere close to what you were. Are you finding it difficult to transition from one to the other? No, I'm re- I'm enjoying it. It's it, you see a whole different side of the game. Um, some things you thought were good when you were playing, uh, you don't. You look for different things now, and I think uh, getting out of that playing mindset, but obviously still having that instinct is good. Um, I'm le- I'm learning all the time. I've I've got heaps of things wrong, and as long as I just be myself, I think that's one of the most important things. And don't try to be someone you aren't. Then I think you'll do you'll do you do some better things, more better things than you'll do bad. And what's the future for John Hardy? At the moment, oh, I'm not 100% sure. I'm just going to enjoy the journey. Nah, <laughs> talked about the rugby journey. Uh, no, I, I would like to do um, carry on with Stu Mel and ju- we'll just see where it goes in terms of coaching. But I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Is that the street I'm going to end up? I don't know, but it's something I love the game of rugby and what it's given me and it's opened so many opportunities. So it's something I definitely want to stay in and 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 keep driving towards because it's given me so much. So I'd like to somehow get back to the game as well if, in, in some little way. Whenever I speak to rugby players and, and selfishly, this is me too, the thing I miss most is not what happens between the whistles and the white lines. It's the changing room and those moments, especially before there were camera phones, those, the things that are just now stories there, nobody took a picture of them. There's no account of them and they've been made greater or worse with history and with the retelling of them. What changing room do you look back on and think I would give anything to be back in there? Uh, I'll tell you the one change. Oh, can I go back to three? Yeah, go for it. I'll go the South and Stags changing room 2009. The 2015 changing room for Super Rugby final. Uh, when we won it, that was pretty cool. And I'd have to say I really enjoyed beating the changing room at when we beat Samoa in the in the uh, round robin game to go to the quarterfinal, I thought it was a. I think it was more of a relief sort of thing as well. Like we'd find like it, 
it was just a good feeling. It felt like you just everything was let out. So I've got so many <laughs> great moments in changing rooms, but as every player does, probably some more than others. Um, there's some bad, there's some bad ones as well. So you got to take the good with the bad, don't you? And you got to really enjoy those those good ones. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of good memories, and and um, and that will stay with me for a lifetime. A typical bloody Kiwi wins a Super Rugby final and describes it as pretty cool. It was a good one, I'll tell you what. It was, uh, we had a great time. Yeah, I'll bet you did. I'll bet you did. So the position you played was ridiculous. I mean, and the things that you did and the places you put your body and your head were ridiculous. When you look at the game now, is there anything that you think... I can't believe we're still doing that, or is it just part of it? Uh, I was actually talking about this to another bloke um, about I was watching the France v. Uh, Ireland game, and it was the one time I was like, I'm glad I'm not out there because it is that was so physical, so fast. It was absolutely brutal. Great to watch, but I'll tell you what, I was glad I wasn't playing in it. I think probably the thing that leads to most injuries is probably the, the clean-out. Um, and I think they're sort of they're helping that with the new rules and the sides. I think it's the it's the knees and the the legs getting caved in from the side, that sort of thing, and the hidden neck contact. But I think they get that, that they're trying to address those those issues, and it does. You know, when you sign up to rugby, you you're signing up to a risk as well. So you've got to remember that. But whatever we can do to make that game safer is is um, top of the list as well. Okay, John, I've I've loved speaking to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with some quick fire. Uh, best mate that you played with. Uh, you so only get one. Don't give me any of this uh, three nonsense. You only get one. Probably, probably Phil Burley because I played along with him everywhere. Who is your toughest opponent? Artie Severe. Which Scotsman would have been a great All Black? Which Scotsman would be a good All Black? <laughs> um... Stuart Hall. Which All Black would make a great Scotsman? Ben Smith. Oh, yes. I love Ben from Accounts. I love yes. Ben from Accounts. He would fit in like a, He would fit in Unreal. Love Ben from Accounts. Right, we're going to finish there. We're going to finish on Ben from Accounts. John, I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Thank you so much for giving up your time and all the very best at Stumel. And hopefully I'll either make it to a touchline or I'll be able to come and join you from a, for a genius after the game at some point. Oh, that'd be great. We'll enjoy a genius. And um, thanks for to Jason for setting this up from Genius. It was awesome. Thanks very much. Thank you, my man. Great to see you. All the very best. Cheers, mate. Absolutely loved that. What a talk. That was talk, good, man. mate. It was good. I enjoyed that. So many stories to tell. Uh, so much going in there. He's done so many things all over the world. 
and he's just down the road. So hopefully I'm going to go and see him at some point. If you've enjoyed it, you can catch us on ACAST, Spotify and Apple. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. Go back and have a look at the back catalogue. There's something there for everybody, I hope. And we've got some great guests coming up. But I hope you have enjoyed listening to John Hardy. And thank you to Genius Bruin for setting that one up. I am very, very grateful. It has been an amazing hour and a half in my time. My name is Bruce Aitchison. My happiness is egg-shaped and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. All the best. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. No, it's not about this last night. And he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. 